Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Forrest Gump starring Tom Hanks, Robin Wright, Gary Sinise, Michael Eddie Williamson, and Sally Field. Based on the book by Winston Groom, screenplay by Eric Roth, and directed by Robert Zemeckis. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to continue on with our cask of The Oscar Goes To. Dot, 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 dot. Uh, and here we are in the year 1994. And we're talking about Forrest Gump, directed by Mr. Robert Zemeckis. Uh, and I think this was the year that was the catalyst for this whole cask. Yeah. Uh, as we'll kind of get into what else was nominated versus the film today that won, uh, I think is going to make for a pretty interesting discussion. Uh, and I just want to state up front, it's okay to like a movie because nearly everyone that I know loves Forrest Gump. Yeah. And I'll be the first one to tell you, I've probably seen this movie about 40 times. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I think it's pretty rewatchable, uh, but oh boy, are there some things to pick apart and talk about mm-hmm. uh, story, character, historical <laughs> significance. Yeah. I can't wait to get into it with you. Uh, did you see this when it came out? Yes, we did. Charming is how I would put that okay. initially. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, did, I don't know if I got into the, the mess of what should have won and what didn't win that year. I just thought it was a charming film. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get into how I feel about that today, whether that remains the case or whether it's changed. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, charming and cutesy, but not so cutesy that you want to go home and watch some hard slasher film to sort of watch the cotton candy stick out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that's partly Zemeckis. Yeah. He's not going to let anything get too cotton candy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we saw it in theater, and I was, I think I left in a fairly fulfilled mood. I'll, I'll, I'll get really say that <laughs> yeah. about a movie. You're so fulfilled by yeah. the gump. Yeah. Uh, I'll get into the numbers a little bit later, but I was shocked to find this out that at its time of release, it became the third highest grossing film of all time behind mm-hmm. Star Wars or E.T. and Star Wars and then Gump. <laughs> Can wow. you believe that? No. And I think I think you're saying a lot to that of just the the charming aspect of this is a very crowd pleasing film. Uh, I think and the, that rewatchability factor. I can totally buy why that happened, but we'll get into the 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 nitty gritty with all of it. Uh, new bottle today. This kind of felt appropriate. Old Bardstown, Kentucky, straight bourbon whiskey. This is old time sour mash. You actually got this for me for Christmas. I did. So thank you for that. Here's to Christmas. Thanks to that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Get a little pepper in that. Mm-hmm. Now, do you like, would you rather it be smooth first, harsh on the way down or a little kind of t- harsh, stingy at first and then smooth on the, that, that one. Mm-hmm. I think so for me too. That way it kind of, I think it registers a little bit more and it tastes less alcoholy at that point. This is pretty harsh front end back, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Sour mash though. It feels classic whiskey, uh, you know, smoky pepper. There you go. There you go. As we sit out at the smoker <clears throat> preparing a brisket, or some shrimp, <laughs> telling old tales of of, of yo you of of your. This is what we're drinking, or or yar if we're on a pirate ship. <laughs> well, uh, let's go ahead and get started with our flight question. The 
Score by Alan Silvestri. I actually think he kills it in this film in some really good moments that I'll I'll shout out here as as we get started. Yeah. But Forrest Gump features a pretty interesting narrative device that not a lot of films utilize, and it's the the framing framing narrative. So what I mean by that is it's usually someone storytelling and either telling their story. Uh, and then we see the events of that story play out as they do a voiceover or we cut back to it. Uh, we start at the beginning, we do the story, and then we cut back to it at the end and kind of see where we ended up. Uh, I think a pretty unique one, um, the VHS horror anthology franchise, that framing narrative is about this, like these like shitty kids that like break stuff and they break into a house and they find all these tapes. And as they put a new tape in, you get a different horror anthology film, which I think is a pretty cool little framing device to tie, Love that. To tie it all together. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot in film and TV. Uh, I kind of maybe know what you're going to pick here. Uh, uh, but you know, you know. <laughs> I do. So what's your favorite framing device in a film or TV show? Does it revolve around a Blu-ray that you might have purchased for me? Yeah. So you knew? Yeah. Double indemnity. Look, if I get a chance to go film noir, <clears throat> I'm not going to miss that opportunity. What I particularly like about that is this is a confession of a man that I don't think realizes it's as bad as it is. Mm-hmm. And as the story unfolds through the the telling of this, this murder and this um, insurance plot, what I particularly find interesting are the flashback narratives that are decorated with the blood on his lapel that mm-hmm. gets deeper and darker and more severe the deeper and darker and more severe his choices get in the story. By the time the narrative is done and we're back to real time and present time, not the backstory of how I got here, but in real time, present time. Yeah. He's lost so much blood. He can't even walk. Mm -hmm. And what's terrible about that because the bleed is so slow, so slow an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. It's not going to kill him. Yeah. Cause that'd be far too easy to get out that way. Yeah. Instead, his best friend, I guess. Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> Tough yeah. best friend to have. Yeah. With two olives. Yeah. Comes in to put the final nail in his casket, which is, I think, so appropriate. A cigarette often given to the man at the firing squad is one last cigarette before they blast him to pieces. There you go. The problem, though, is he's not going to get blasted to pieces. They're going to go and send him to the hospital. They're going to stitch him up. And then he's going to do time, man. Yeah, you're going to court. Do time. <laughs> yeah. Now, the story changed later on with, you know, the the death chamber and all that, that they kind of added and subtracted and what they left in and what they didn't. But the narrative element of this is, here's the recording of my memoir. My confession, yeah. Of what essentially is a completely unremarkable shyster life. Yeah. He sucks. He's a fucking insurance salesman. <laughs> yeah. You're right? Yeah. So no family to speak of, Mm-mm. no redeemable traits. Yeah. Other than he's sort of charming mm-hmm. and a good salesman. Yeah. Ooh. I love that narrative. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, this is about as on the nose as I can get. You knew this was going as soon as you answered the, give me the question, I'm sure. But yeah, it's yeah. double indemnity. Yeah. And the voiceover fits noir so well, right? I <laughs> yeah. feel like a lot of noir kind of fits into this, you know, recanting the tale. Uh even a little bit of Sunset Boulevard a couple, mm-hmm. couple weeks back was a little bit, and that was like a, uh, a framing narrative from Beyond the Grave. <laughs> Pool, <laughs> yeah. face down. Uh, so, no, yeah, I think I think it works really well in that in that space, and, you know, there's quite a few that have done it well, but that's got to be the best. Uh, it's just 
him at the tape recorder bleeding out, telling this crazy story how he got involved with this very dangerous woman, right? Yeah. Good choice. Thanks. Mine, I have one, and then and then if you have any honorable mentions, I'd love to hear them. Uh, I'm going horror with this one, and I'm going back about 100 years, and I forgot what an effective one was used in the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those that haven't seen it, uh, you know, it starts out with these two men, uh, this young guy talking to this older man in what looks like a park and this ghastly looking woman, very robotic, like starts walking and he starts telling this old man, like, that's my fiance and boy, have we seen some shit in our lifetime. And how about I tell about all of it to you? So then he breaks down this crazy story about this somnambulist and this, this crazy guy. Uh, and then it wraps back around at the end. I'm not going to spoil uh, what it is, but it might be the first twist ending in film history. It's a fantastic ending, but the way they, they, they started and ended and bookend with this idea, and ultimately what the twist is, is what made me pick that, that choice. I think how it's used as a mechanism in there is very clever. Uh, and I think a pretty, you know, silent film's hard. It's not for everybody, but I think that one's pretty watchable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe the first you could qualify kind of a slasher film. Yeah. Uh, Conrad Veet is really good as the as that the the, the the stocking guy and all that German expressionist art is very beautiful. Um, but yeah, that's going to be my pick. I know I didn't think I was going to go there. I mean, you know, Princess Bride has a great one, right? Yeah. With Peter Falk, you know, uh, telling the story to little Fred Savage. Um, there's there's quite a few really good ones, but that's the one I went with. And sort of a comedic, this won't make the list, but I thought once upon a time in my life, it should have made the list. A few years ago, I tried to sit down and watch Never Ending Story again with my daughter. Oh, God. Man. That's not a good one. And I liked that movie kind of a, a lot as a kid. It's got the moment, you know, of course, when the horse is drowning out in the mud. Like, that's pretty horrifying as a child. That gamork is cool looking. Yeah, but that movie is kind of a slog. Shit. Yeah. And, you know, him locked up in the attic reading in a Princess Bride sort of esque way. Yeah. But that wouldn't make the list. Although, had you asked me a decade ago, I might have said, we didn't even make it through, Jesse. She was like, Dad, can we watch something else? Yeah, that one's rough. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And speaking of high fantasy, I recently revisited Ridley Scott's Legend. Oh, man, that's almost unwatchable, too. Really? Yeah. That's disappointing. It is, yeah. And that's it's Bowie and the... Um, no, 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 no. That's Tim Curry and Tom Cruise and Mia Sarah. And then Bowie oh, and yeah. Connolly. And Tim, Tim Curry's the devil. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that really, that's, yeah. Didn't, what's the one I'm thinking about with David Labyrinth. Moore? Labyrinth, there you go. That one's it's Jennifer Connelly. That one's good. Yeah. That one's still pretty good. But yeah, Legend didn't play. It didn't play very well for me. You could tell there was a lot of interfering there. Um, Is that the one where they cut the unicorn's horn off? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That did, really, yeah. damn, that sucks. It did it. I heard also that there's a director's cut, so I might need <clears> to seek that one out instead of this very shortened version that got released, but... Uh, Honorable mention for me uh, from television, I think the framing narrative in the first season of True Detective is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Woody Harrelson and McConaughey recanting their tales of trying to catch this serial killer, and then as the case gets opened up again, they kind of get thrust back into it towards the end of the season. But man, just watching McConaughey pound down Lone Star Beer as he tells just all this crazy shit that's happened between these two guys, mm-hmm. both personally and with the case... And have and their undercover work. I think it's really good. It's one of the best seasons of television that's ever been made. No argument here. Yeah, good one. Any thought about the usual suspects? Um, yeah, for sure. 
I love that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you talked about seeing Gump 40 mm-hmm. times. I've probably seen that movie 40 times. So yeah. it usually falls in the category of I've watched it so much I'm a little sick of it. Sure. <clears throat> but, you know, that would work there too. Mm-hmm. That has a noir, <clears throat> noir element to it as well. So that narrative fits good in crime, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think partly also because the confession behind the bars about what got me here is also always going to play. The guy on death row that is about to tell how I got here. So that's like hurricane, dead men walking, there's yeah. things like that. Their final tale. It's just a good way to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, to that, to that. And to the inspiration, Forrest Gump, let's go ahead and dive right in to our review breakdown of Forrest Gump. The nominees for Best Picture of the Year are Forrest Gump, Wendy, F- Wendy Feinerman, Steve Tisch, Steve Starkey, my eyes, producers. Four Weddings and a Funeral, Duncan Kenworthy, producer. Pulp Fiction, Lawrence Bender, producer. Our quiz show, Robert Redford, Michael Jacobs, Julian Cranin, Michael Nozick, producers. The Shawshank Redemption, Nicky Marvin, producer. And the Oscar goes to Forrest Gump, Wendy Finneman, Steve Tisch, and Steve Starkey, producers. Do you want to start here with those five films in particular? It's a pretty good lineup. Did you hear that 1980s? Yeah. <laughs> Any one of those five would have won one best picture of the decade. Yeah. Um, my fourth, or far, my fifth favorite in that would probably be Four Weddings and a Funeral. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing movie yeah. compared to most of the stuff that we've covered on yeah. here so far anyway yeah. Yeah. with this cast. What an amazing five films. Redford showing up again with <laughs> Quiz Show and... The totally, you know, indie, redefining how, you know, just like that filmmaking, writing with Pulp Fiction. And then you got Shawshank, you got Stephen King in here with this, not horror tale, this prison drama. That's amazing. And then today's film, Forrest Gump. So crazy, hugely competitive year. Best year of nominees, debatable. I think close. 39's up there too, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But this is this is up there. I think thirty nine was in that weird year where they had I think up to ten nominees. I think there was like nine or ten in thirty nine. This is five really solid films this year. Really solid films, mm-hmm. yeah. So as we've kind of laid out this cask, we've started with the film that won. Next week we'll cover the film that should have won. But yeah, Forrest Gump won, and I think the the definition of how we've described it thus far. Forrest Gump feels like the safe pick. It feels Mm -hmm. like the safe pedestrian drama by the numbers pick to win the big award versus something that's not silence of the lambs. Yeah. Not silence of the lambs or something like confidential. Yeah. Or something like even like Pulp Fiction. That's weird. It's, it's written uh, all out of order. It's kind of intense. It's got crazy sequences in it or even something like Shawshank that is kind of a by-the-book drama, but it has, like, more humanity to it than this film does. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. And maybe the money piece talks to it, because if we're talking finances, this one blew all those other films out of the water. 
And I think of the other films you... Wasn't Shawshank a bomb when it came out? Bomb, financially, yes. Financially, that's noteworthy. Mm -hmm. But this also had star power that the other ones didn't quite have. Mm. This is Hanks at the... Height of his powers. Height of his powers, if you will. (laughs) And looking at a way that's... You know, the guys probably do Mm -hmm. at this point. Um, Well, he had won the year prior. (laughs) Philadelphia, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I I tried to go back. It's only happened, I think, two other times where an actor's won back-to-back. I think Spencer Tracy's another one, and maybe Frederick March is the other guy. Who? Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. It's very hard for that to happen. You look back at this run, and this is going to lead into the the nightcap question Mm -hmm. tonight, too. Oh, teaser. Yeah. Hanks is on running this time here. And I Tom Hanks is what Tom Hanks is now. Yeah. And you know, we can debate how long his his staying power was, but for a 6 or 7 year run there, slaying to the point where you might consider top 10 of all time. I don't know how you can argue with he won back to back even two. Yeah. Nicholson has one, right? No, does he have? No, he has four. No, Nicholson has two. He has uh, actor for Cuckoo's Nest. I can't believe I know these stats. About didn't he? About Schmidt and though, he, too. No, he has a supporting for as good as it gets. Okay. No, no, no. He has lead actor for that one. He does have two. Yeah, you're right. right you're right. So there's a very Daniel Day Lewis. Um, there's a very select group that is multiple winners, but multiple winners in back to back years is also nearly impossible to do not because when you come off of a win i'm not an agent but i would assume an agent's going to be able to land you just about any script worthwhile that you want but what you have to be careful is you come off the win of best actor Mm -hmm. and then you kind of get that thing working against you which is oh my god duke's number one in the polls again sure yeah (laughs) and you're just like alabama's number one alabama yeah You're like, well, it'd be nice if Gonzaga could get there once in a while. Yeah, exactly. So you kind of have have fatigue working in a window. In a window, yeah. And this guy kicked it open. And I would argue that as great as those two are, I don't know if this and um, Philadelphia are, I don't know if either one of those two roles would make my list on his top five. Yeah. I I mean, there's even better ones coming. Can I go through this window? Go. So if we start the year prior, we had Sleepless in Seattle and Philadelphia in the same year. Yeah. Forrest Gump, followed by Apollo 13 and Toy Story. Jeez. That Thing You Do, Saving Private Ryan, You Got Mail, Toy Story 2, The Green Mile, Cast Away, Road to Perdition, and Catch Me If You Can. That's 10 films. There's kind of not a miss in there. No. Yeah. Depending on what types of film, like You Got Mail, that's, that's not a movie for me. But I can't deny that people didn't like that movie. That Thing You Do to me is a little bit weak, but... Um, just because I think that genre is, that's kind of just a boring, silly, family-friendly book. But he directed that movie too. Damn, Jesse, it's a good run. You could, yeah. you could take that run of ten mm-hmm. and put it up against anybody else's run of ten, and I bet he would win. Yeah, because you know, for all the Pacinos, because he had a good run. I think we broke it down in the Dog Day episode, Serpico Dog Day era. There's a few misses in there as yeah. well, right? It's not all kits. It's hard to say. One of those is a miss in there. So that's pretty pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Road to Perdition 2. Uh, mm-hmm. Gosh, no one talks about that movie so ever. Solid. And it's good. I'm going to talk about it later. Okay, good. Excellent. Thank yeah. you, man. Yeah. Okay, let's start here at the beginning. Play the clip, and then let's get going. Hello. 
My name's Forrest, Forrest Gump. Do you want a chocolate? I could eat about a million and a half of these. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. Those must be comfortable shoes. I bet you could walk all day in shoes like that and not feel a thing. I wish I had shoes like that. My feet hurt. Mom always said it. There's an awful lot you can tell about a person by their shoes. Where they going? Where they been? I've worn lots of shoes. I bet if I think about it real hard, I could remember my first pair of shoes. Okay, so prior to that, we'll, we'll break that down here in a second. We gotta talk about this stupid feather floating around this movie. <laughs> it's just like, it's almost like force symbolism, right? Mm -hmm. The winds of time or will pass you by or, or whatnot. But as it like CGI floats to his feet there, I'm like, oh gosh. Little heavy handed. It's a little much for me. I, I And honestly, I expect a little more from Robert Zemeckis. And I wanna tell you right now, Robert Zemeckis made one of my favorite movies of all time, Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. Uh yeah, it's a little, it's a little kind of, you're just kind of shoving it, opening my mouth and shoving it down my throat. And I kind of don't like my stuff handed to me like that. Uh, where do you come down on all that? <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's, it's, I'm sure people have written theses about that damn feather. Yeah. It's a bit heavy handed. Yeah. But I'm going to talk about shoes. This is the quintessential through line for Forrest Gump for me. Saying you can tell a lot about a person by their shoes is very profound on surface, but it's actually bullshit. Yeah. You can't tell anything about a person by the shoes they wear. You can't. And that's a safe place to start this film mm -hmm. as we take a snapshot into a man's life through these important historical moments that amount to nothing more than anecdotal one-offs. Yeah. Jesse. Mm-hmm. You cannot tell, like, that's what, if I'm on a date and I'm 18 or 19 or 20 years old, I say stupid shit to the date, the, the girl that I'm dating, like, well, what kind of music do you like? Because you can tell a lot about a person by the music they like. You can't tell a lot about a person by the music. Like, you can't. Because they might mention five songs, and that's what they like in the moment, not to mention the other 25. What you could tell maybe was, what songs do you hate? Mm-hmm. But saying something like you can tell a lot about a person by the shoes they wear, it's just, it, that's saying something profound with nothing to it. It's like wearing scuba gear in the kiddie pool. Yeah. I think you the, don't need it. Yeah. I think, it, and it's not true. I think the chocolate line, if anything's more profound, that's than that. more profound. Yeah. Cause think of a <laughs> box of Russell Stover's and there's the coconut, the cream filled, the one with nuts and all that. And yeah, of course you never know which one you're going to get unless you look at the insert underneath. I mean, it, if you think about what type, if you could have a box of chocolate, mm -hmm. what three flavors would you want in there? Then you get into an interesting discussion. But to say something like, 
you can see a lot about a person by the shoes they wear is my larger, bigger problem with this film. Well, if they had put emphasis on the shoes, right? I mean, we'd get the, the, the shoes here in the opening are these leg braces that he has because he has scoliosis or maybe he had polio. I mean, we're never really told, right? Yeah. Um, but then later, I mean, the football cleats could have been like a type of moment for him, but like we never see that. His combat boots could have kind of played, like the shoes could have been a part of the film. The only other shoes we get to see are the Nikes that Jenny gives him a little bit later. So yep. I'm with you there. Yeah, we're like it's it's a lot of forced symbolism. And you just hit something that's really important. Mm. I think of all the historic elements that we see in this film, the one that in history and per this movie is the most important is his run in Vietnam. You mean Vietnam? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Lieutenant Dan gives him a little bit of a warning about keep your feet dry, keep your socks clean, keep your socks clean. And then that is just entirely forgotten. Yeah. And there's even an opportunity when Lieutenant Dan gets blown to hell, which would give him no more reason to have shoes, Mm. to have a moment where (laughs) not to be too, The other Tom Hanks movie, Saving Private Ryan, Looking for My Hand on the Beach. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. But that moment with Lieutenant Dan, Forrest, get my shoes, get my shoes, get like, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, we could bring it back. But none of that, Mm -hmm. or all of that, I'm sorry, is too edgy for this movie. And instead, we're just going to round the corners with shoes that you, man, you set up something that I probably wouldn't go with. I'd do something that was a little bit more unique than just shoes. And again, it's Forrest and he's not a rocket scientist, so we can't make this too cerebral. Otherwise you lose me, Mm -hmm. but it's just, it's a safe chapter heading in a picture book. Yeah. And we got to get the story going somehow, right? We got to get him talking. And what I really like is this first woman he's talking to. And there's a few people that come to the bus stop. Like, (laughs) she just could care less, right? Yeah. She just wants to read who the hunkiest man is in People Magazine. Yeah. uh, And doesn't want to listen. And then I'm shaking. Talk about shoes. I'm shaking in my shoes when... After he gets his leg braces, he kind of breaks down. Mama named me after the, the great General Nathan Bedford Forrest. Who started a club called the Ku Klux Klan? And I'm like, is this supposed to be funny that he's talking about the Klan in front of this black woman? Right. Oh man, I'm scared. Right. <laughs> this is this is kind of it's a little icky this moment. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very icky and off-putting, but it's also because it's being told in that regard by him, it decreases the significance of that. That's okay. So that's the that's the the film in a nutshell for me. Yeah. The decreasing of significance of everything. Everything to me, and uh, I got to give credit. Jesse, to, the clan is not anecdotal. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, that's not just like a shove it in there and like we walk past it. Right. Um. That's major. Credit Especially to, to say it to a black woman oh and have God. no response from I, her on I that. No, she, yeah, she she looks at him and she's like the fuck did you say yeah yeah so uh my thing with forest and tom pinks plays a really good i want to play a clip a little bit later that like it's probably the scene that won him the oscar he's so good in it but this character has no arc he has none no growth nope and you know later when we're gonna kind of like the significance of the civil rights movement or the significance of why we were even fighting in vietnam in the first place is completely lost on him Reduced to a kiss in a reflecting pool. 
a kiss and reflecting or a pool hug. or, or the, 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 the Medal of Honor and I'm playing ping pong now. Like it, the, the significance of real historical events is never dawned on Forrest because he's so, he's so simple and he's just, he just happenstances his way through life, which I guess is the, you know, where a lot of the comedy comes from, right? And I wish there was moments. I wish Zemeckis and the screenwriter, I know this is based on a book, which whatever, you can change the movie if you want. But they had some tact to like, oh, wow, I realized why we were fighting in Vietnam. And, you know, I wasn't about that. Or wherever your stance is, have a stance on something. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Yes, exactly. I mean, later in the film, when uh, the two uh, African-Americans are going to attend Alabama and his friend says, you know, they want to go to school with us. And he's like, what? And he says the N-word. He knows what that is. And he's like, they do? So he knows some stuff, but like, there's no, you know, we're going with here. Like, there's no growth of like the significance of why it was so important. It's like window shopping. Yeah. So you're walking down Fifth Avenue in some mega mega city, and on either side of the street is retail store after retail store filled with an amazing selection of whatever it might be. Yeah. And your voyage into consumerism in that, which would be reflective of society because they're selling what people want, consists of looking at the mannequin in the window and moving on to the next door. Mm -hmm. And then at that, looking at the mannequin in the window and moving on to the next door. And each one of those aptly or inaptly, unaptly, I don't know if that's a word, gets some cookie cutter one-liner that fails to recognize the gravity of where you are. Now, to say the American story is equivalent to retail shops on, on fifth Avenue is a poor, poor corollary. But the point I'm making is sort of like you got to fucking walk into one of the stores and go shopping. Yeah. Yeah. We got to get into the nitty gritty of, you can't just happenstance your way through the Avenue till you get to a store that a pickpocket stole your wallet in and hid. And you like, you have to be active to some degree in this with these large events occurring. Yeah. And I know we don't want to depress everyone, but like, I I think that's unavoidable when you're talking about some of these topics, like, you know, Forrest goes through Vietnam we're jumping ahead, but we'll get back. We'll get back to the legs and, (laughs) and mama gump. Uh, He goes through Vietnam unscathed bullet in the ass, Mm -hmm. uh, congressional bullet in the ass. Yeah. No PTSD. And this is a war that everybody hated, whether whatever side of the fence you were on, POWs, people coming back messed up, made fun of. I mean, Rambo First Blood is a better representation of the effects of the Vietnam War than Forrest Gump is, right? Yeah, well, you just said it, Jesse. Yeah. A bullet in the ass is safe cute. Mm -hmm. You know what matters and makes this even more meaningful? Trauma. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And if he takes the slug in the shoulder, which renders his arm unusable for six months, and the way that he regains functionality of that is through physical therapy, ping also pong. known as ping pong. Oh, yeah, there you go. I mean, it's right there. Instead, you get then there's a, little, a bee bite on your ass. Haha, it's cute. Let's move on down the road. That's, I, 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 I would like a little more adversity through for, ah. for Forrest. Yeah. Well, yes, good said. And adversity. Yeah. Yes. And there is a character that faces adversity in this film. Her name is Jenny. and The worst uh, girlfriend in the history of cinema. She's a bad girlfriend, but the screenplay does her dirty too, man. Yeah. It's like, yeah. we'll get to it in a second. But what do you think of this? Okay, so they live in the South on some old plantation, I imagine. Mm-hmm. 
they have all this help and you know sally field i think she's pretty good in this movie uh you know she wants to get forrest into regular ed classes and he's just like iq level is just a notch below the threshold and her solution is let me let me have sex with the administrator prone her solution is prone yeah exactly which you know you know I got to admire, you know, whatever she's willing to do for her son. I mean, that there's something to that. This scene's always cracked me up, though, where this guy's man ready to, like, blow a hip out, you know, giving it to Mrs. Gump. <laughs> and then Forrest is out here on in his little deck chair, and then he goes, ugh, ugh. <laughs> Yeah. There's moments in this film that make me laugh. That's one of them. Like, that's always, I know, as a kid watching that, I don't know what's going on there. And then later, I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> and as funny as that is, him emulating the sounds that that guy was making from yeah. the window. Yeah. That's another moment where if you hear some guy banging at your mom upstairs, the effects of that, and again, you can hide behind while Forrest isn't able to process that due to his IQ level. And I, I'm not going to disagree. Yeah. They set that up, mm -hmm. but it turns into just again, funny, cute, or, or as you make fun of the administrator walking away. Cause that's what he just did. Yeah. And yet again, Round those edges and get on with it. Yeah, I again and it, I well, that's the whole movie, man. It's just, I know it's the, it doesn't, it's, I don't, doesn't have to turn into a story of Forrest Gump wanting to take a piece of that guy's ass because what did he do his mom? Like I, I don't want that either. Yeah, that's not the movie, but no, you're you're right. It's yeah, rounding the edges and historical significance in a nutshell. It's really bad in that run and scene across America. Like Ugh. it's just like every two seconds we're like inventing some new multi million dollar idea. And that's where the film really starts to, to drown me out. But uh, I really do. I, I kind of like this little moment. I, I don't like how convenient it is that Elvis stayed at this house. Mm -hmm. And he learned his like little shimmy shimmy dance from Forrest. But I do like that Mr. Kurt Russell provided the voice for Elvis in this. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there is that, right? Looking yeah. on the bright side. But I'm going to play the next clip. Uh, this is going to introduce the next kind of big character of this film. There's a few moments in here that I really like, and then we'll, we'll, we'll kind of break it down. Can't sit here. You know, it's funny what a young man recollects, because I don't remember being born. I, I don't recall what I got for my first Christmas. I don't know when I went on my first outdoor picnic, but I do remember the first time I heard the sweetest voice in the wide world. Here, the Sylvester score here, pretty good. I had never seen anything so beautiful in my life. She was like an angel. Well, you're gonna sit down, aren't you? What's wrong with your legs? I'm nothing at all, thank you. My legs are just fine and dandy. I just sat next to her on that bus and had a conversation all the way to school. My back's crooked like a question mark. These are going to make me a next to Mama, no one ever talked to me or asked me questions. Are you stupid or something? Mama says stupid is as stupid does. I'm Jenny. I'm Forrest. Forrest Gump. From that day on, we was always together. Jenny and me was like peas and carrots. She taught me how to climb. Come on, Forrest, you can do it! I showed her how to dangle. <laughs> she helped me learn how to read. And I showed her how to swing. 
Sometimes we just sit out and wait for the stars. Mama's gonna worry about me. Just stay a little longer. For some reason, Jenny didn't ever want to go home. Okay, Jenny, I'll stay. She was my most special friend. My only friend. So I like how the, the, the stage is set for that. I mean, getting on the school bus, it's a, kind of a, a new thing. That, that's anxiety-inducing, and yeah, no one wants him. You can't sit here. No one wants to sit next to him, and yeah, here this person says, you can sit here, and you know, we always remember our first friend that we make in school, right? I mean, that's kind of a big moment, and here he meets this, and yeah, it's of the opposite sex, so like this is going to be something that's going to plague him through his whole life, though, right? The, the the friend zone limits that Jenny puts on Forrest are just borderline hilarious at times. But I buy it. I buy their friendship. I buy this. I mean, you know, she thinks he's a little a little weird and strange, but, I mean, she's not going to call him names like the other kids. So there's a sweetness there that I do really like, and then it makes me chuckle, and she's like, yeah, I taught him how to read, and he taught me how to dangle from a tree. <laughs> not a fair trade. <laughs> it's not a fair trade-off, man. No. Uh, and then it gets a little dark there where, I mean, you know, like Jenny never wanted to go home. Um I forgot this in this film, Matt, that, like, Jenny is, like, sexually molested by her dad. Like, yeah. man, that's rough. Yeah. And, again, Forrest showing no growth. He's 40 years old in the bus stop telling the story to this African-American woman, right? And says his fa- the father was always kissing and touching them. Like, I, I don't even think he even knows what molestation is. So we're downplaying that, right? I mean, I would love for him to, like, know, like, oh, she was... She was abused, and that kind of impacted her entire life and the path that she went down. Mm-hmm. But again, no, it's just a little strange anecdote of I kind of didn't get it, right? Again, round those edges. Yeah. I also don't believe that at 40 years old, he doesn't understand what happened to her. I know, right? What you do when that occurs is you create, as you said earlier, mm-hmm. there's no arc to Forrest. Yeah. You create a very one-dimensional character. Mm-hmm. I guess you can pull it off. Yeah. Because this is a very famous role that he's played, so yeah. who am I? Yeah. The problem is, and maybe this is not the kind of film to sort of look into this deep character arc that has rising action and second act reversals and all of those things, because it kind of beat-wise does still. But then, if it doesn't, that gets to our question. Mm-hmm. If that movie isn't those things, yeah. how does it beat out any of the other four that are all about those things. Well, those other films, they're harder to watch. Shawshank's, you know, it's, it's kind of a rough kind of down movie until it's very inspiring at the end. Shawshank's or Pulp Fiction's a weird wild ride, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, they're not as palatable, I think, as, as this film, as we're teasing anecdotally all these historical, and, and then we're, it's just, they're almost like little punchlines, right? It's just like we're a comedian doing stand-up, and it was like, oh, yeah, and I created Apple. <laughs> it's just like all these little things. Yeah. Does this work better if the memoirs or the snapshots of his life, the chapters in his story of Jenny, because that's essentially what this is. It's a romantic comedy. That's what this film is. That's what Netflix labeled it as. It, what it, I mean, I think that's a poor... <clears throat> It's a poor genre choice for this. Yeah. It shouldn't be, but I don't want um, Born on the Fourth of July either. So, like, let's yeah. be frank about this. Sure, yeah. But if the events that happen in his life are not so monumentally large and just for what is literally an everyman, yeah. 
that doesn't understand the gravity of what he's going through. I think the charm in this film is greater yeah. if he goes through some adversity every day. Well, run of the mill tasks, like his first job, a bad boss, not like shot in fucking Vietnam. Yeah. Um, bring it this, this rally at the uh, Washington monument yeah. for the Vietnam, like civil, like all of those things are far too large for him to get if you just want to tell a love story. And I know that people like that about it, but if you really break that down and look at it in this huge, significant event that's happening, let's just take the cold war, for example, (laughs) and fight the cold war through ping pong. It comes across as stupid is as stupid does. (laughs) If you're so stupid, you can't recognize the threat of nuclear apocalypse. (laughs) Or communist invasion slash takeover twice, whether it's Vietnam or China, then you are stupid. And okay, he is stupid. Yeah. And that's hard to say. And I'm not not banging on him for that, but you create a character that then is so simple and so linear that there's no growth. I think I want a little more adversity. I mean, he does face it here in the beginning, and it's at the behest of his physical and intellectual disabilities, right? But like once he get once he busts out of the leg braces, uh it's kind of easy for him from then forward, right? Kind of is. Because he's like the flash. Yeah. I do like this moment though. Like, you know, the kids are picking on him and dude, that little that kid takes a rock to the face. Um, but mm-hmm. he starts, you know, kind of jaunting about the this highway or this like byway and busts out of these very cheap braces. And then he's just running. I mean, running and he's quick. I mean, the, the strength of the leg braces has turned him into just like Jesse Owens or something. Yeah. Just like an, a Supreme running athlete. Um, you know, there, there's, there's something interesting there, but then that's juxtaposed with sexual molestation. I mean, I never, that, that went at me as a kid and I'll have to tell you, Matt, like, since I've seen this movie 40 times, and this was an HBO man, it was on all the time. Mm-hmm. And my aunt didn't own a lot of movies, but she owned this movie. So I was I watched it. I put it in the VCR all the time. I learned about a lot of like historical figures and events through this film. Like this was my first exposure to Vietnam mm-hmm. and like and the Kennedys and like a lot of a lot of that stuff. So um where was I going with this? Running a uh, busting out of this like that those deeper things happening behind the threshold they went way over my head and the film also just doesn't take the time to even go there as well but he's so quick mad that he he gets a walk-on scholarship to alabama dude bear bryant is so impressed and becomes the greatest punt returner, Desmond Howard. Are you listening? The greatest punt returner in the history of football. And th- this is what kills me. I mean, if you want one scene indicative of Forrest in a nutshell of just he doesn't even know where he's at or just can't understand the gravity. When they kick off that first game and, you know, the ball's going into the end zone, he doesn't catch the ball. Someone else has to do it for him. And he's just kind of like looking off to the right. He kind of doesn't even like know where he's at or like what's going on here. And the guy runs up to him and is like, here, run. He's like, okay. And then he just scores a touchdown, right? <laughs> so he hasn't been to practice? I, maybe not. Or I'm sure he's been to practice, but like, it's just it's that arc stuff, right? It's just like, this is him not understanding the gravity of his current circumstance. Dude, you're playing in a collegiate level game against Division One opponents. 
And, you, and it's just kind of like blah for you. <laughs> but you're really good at it. What year do you think that's happening in? Is that oh, the late 60s? Got to be because, yeah, he's going to go to Vietnam as soon as he graduates, 67, 68. So let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Again, being a kick returner for Alabama is just safe enough to where the casual or non-knowing sports fan is like, that's really cute. He doesn't want to get tackled and he runs up the ramp. Yeah. If he's that fast, yeah. why doesn't he go to Mexico City during the Olympics? And let's get into that. Yeah. Because that's on the stand, mm-hmm. fist raised with the black gloves. Yeah. That's that whole deal. Yeah. And you could do it just the same way with, I think, a more significant take. And you can have his perceptions of that anyway, but being a kick returner for a football team doesn't further the larger narrative here of big civil rights movements that he's going through and about to be engaged in. Mm -hmm. It bugs. Yeah. Like, first of all, in all of football, after the punter and the kicker, okay, and this is not to say that they're unimportant. Mm-hmm. The third least important guy on the football team is the long snapper. And then you know who's next? The yeah. fucking kick returner. No one cares. Mm-hmm. Look, and I'm not, that's not to say well, the teams win and lose every week on special. I get it. I trust me. I know football. I get it. But to make him a kick returner yeah. instead of any of the other sporting, but like that actually is harder to do than be a receiver and go run a fly pattern. Well, what would show me? I just that. Uh, no, I'm with that you. Bugs. I'm with you. What would show me growth is if he actually catches the ball and is proactive in doing the act of footballing himself. Right. Right. The guy has to come and hand him the football and tell him to run. It's just it's those little things. Uh, I gotta tell you though, the 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 music during his running scenes here, dude, Alan Silvestri, he's just killing it right now. I mean, it's it's really good, bombastic, triumphant music that I can really get behind. That's him and Shawshank too, isn't it? No, that's uh, Thomas Newman. Yeah, it's it's no Sylvester didn't didn't do that one, but Sylvester's been Zemeckis's guy since Back to the Future. I mean, they, he's done. He did Castaway. He did that one. What Lies Beneath? You know, a lot a lot of the Zemeckis oeuvre. But you know what would be interesting? You know, like what would like maybe help Forrest understand? You know, if you want to really get into the nitty gritty, like what if Forrest had a relationship with with a, with a black woman, yep. and then then he sees how differently people treat him, and maybe he would then understand the significance of the time period, and especially in the state of Alabama, how just segregated everything was. No, we're just. So behind. are we upset because what's happening is... No, no, I think we're upset because I think at the root of it, I think there's an interesting story here. For sure. The story of a man in the three most turbulent decades in American history, yeah. right? Yeah. It's just, it plays it so safe and pedestrian when a more rogue filmmaker... And I don't even know if this is Zemeckis' fault. This might be just be the source material that mm-hmm. we're adapting verbatim. Uh they could really get in here and really pay attention to a lot of, and you, you know, the Academy loves shit like that, Matt, uh, where you can really kind of have a purpose and a point with all the things going on there from his perspective. I oh, just brought up so much. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Are we upset because these large events that he's part of window shopping are brushed aside as mere anecdotal moments and that's making us upset or are we upset because we don't get a dig deep enough into each of them to make his character matter or are we upset because (laughs) he's so far out of his league 
that there's no possible way on earth that this could happen. I think the first two for sure. Right. I think the last one bugs me, but the first two definitely that were, you know, it, it's just, it's so, and again, maybe this is why it's a hit because, and this is a boomer movie oh. through and through, yeah. right? Oh <laughs> it's yeah. This is like that era. Oh yeah. Uh, it's all those events, Watergate, Vietnam, like we're, 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 we're checking all those boxes. So I almost wish maybe the gravity of some of these historical events was a little smaller and maybe we're touching some stuff that we maybe we haven't heard of too often. Right. Uh, and then, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I want, I, if, if we're, if we're going there, if we're taking the time to be in the South in 1965, you gotta go. You mean you gotta go all, yes. all in. You can't just do this like toe dip in a pool, man. To add, yeah. Right. Yeah. And to add to it, he has the philosophical back backing to draw this reference point on people regarding their shoes, but he can't deduce that Jenny's been molested yeah. or any of the other 15 to 20 huge. I'm surprised he didn't just happen on his jog to pass the moon and see Neil Armstrong. There. Well, in the book he goes, he's an astronaut. Oh, I'm, not even, I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. dude. I, it, it's getting worse by the second. Yeah. My, it's getting worse by the second. Okay. Oh, uh, what about this moment? And again, talk. Of course he is. Yeah. Yeah. He's an astronaut in the book. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a moment that went completely over my head as a child. So Jenny goes to an all-girls college, and he's sitting out there in the rain, waiting with chocolates. It's kind of hilarious. Yeah. And you know, she's getting getting down with some guy in the car, and dude, Forrest just comes and beats the hell out of that dude. Talk about Back to the Future again, mm -hmm. right? Dude, yeah. Is that Crispin Glover beating that guy? Yeah. Uh, Take your damn hands off her, you, <laughs> you, you. Yeah. She's like, Forrest, you're all wet. Come back to the dorm. Let me dry you off. And then this guy just premature ejaculates all over the 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 roommate's bathrobe. Like I didn't know what was going on there as a kid, but as an adult, a that's very strange. This is like Forrest's first sexual because he doesn't, I guess, know what ejaculation is because this is weird for him, right? Man, bullshit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but I do like how 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 the scene ends. It, it does get a nice chuckle out of me when he was like. I think I ruined your roommate's bathrobe. And Jenny's like, it's okay. I didn't like her either. And then the camera's like showing her and the roommate's like in bed, the hell mortified is going on in this dorm room. Yeah. Okay. I, I, there's some there's stuff I like there. Yeah, but, that's funny. But then some stuff is just like, what, what is going on here? Why do they choose to go down that road? I don't know. He I mean, doesn't have to blow his load early. He, she could just get him hard. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to like, again, round the edges in this premature ejaculation that laughs it off instead of if he truly has never had that happen, then just getting hard like that at the semi-clothed woman's touching would be a huge moment. But again, they round it by giving him, you know... Honest to God, this is this is where they should have sex for the first time. If we're like, we're going there and they're young and just like trying to experiment, give him his first lay here, not when he's 40 years old later in the film. What, Jenny's going to say no? Yes. I mean, come on, right? Yeah, no, this is, and so again, this is yet another moment. You're like, I'm feeling bad for Jenny. I mean, on this watch through, maybe more than any other. I mean, a, later in the film, like, we're going to give this character AIDS and not even have the balls to even call it AIDS. I got, like, yep. something, we don't even know what it is. Yep. We, like, we can't even, we can't even say what it is, Matt. Nope. Uh, but this is a bad moment as a friend. I mean, this is, you know, you're taking him down this path and then you're friend zoning him later. Mm -hmm. You get mad at him when he's about to, when he beats the guy that's, you know, assaulting you when you're playing guitar on the stage. 
And then, okay, okay. <laughs> it's just, okay, so we're getting all, getting all wrapped up. Okay. Uh, no, it's fine. It's, it's the frustration of this film. Sure. This is your best picture winner in 1994, Jesse. He becomes an All-American athlete. He gets to go to the White House. Uh, he drinks a bajillion Dr. Peppers. He gets to shake Kennedy's hand and has to go pee. I mean, he can't even shake his hand because he has, I gotta pee. And then just, again, another moment of just like, you know, Forrest is so taken care of because his family obviously has some money, right? You know, Mama Gump, I mean, this, this plantation, all this, you got cash, Goes through a four-year college. He's a great athlete. And then he graduates and this um, military officer comes and he's like, hey, have you ever thought about your future your son? And he's like, thought? Forrest doesn't know what he's going to do after college. And I don't think it's a concern for him. Right. So he's like, yeah, sure, I'll join. I'm not going to be... I'm not going to be drafted. I'm going to voluntarily join up to go fight in Vietnam. Dude, like, come on, get out of here with that. Right. <laughs> He doesn't even know what he's signing up for again. No, he doesn't. And then they make his experience there really cute because he makes a friend and they just spend the whole time of being, I'm talking about shrimp. Yeah. Let me play the scene here. God, what's your sole purpose in this army? To do whatever you tell my drill sergeant. God damn it, Gump. You're a goddamn genius. That's the most outstanding answer I've ever heard. You must have a goddamn IQ of 160. You are goddamn gifted, Private Gump. Listen up, people! Now, for some reason, I fit in the army like one of them round pegs. It's not really hard. You just make your bed real neat and remember to stand up straight and always answer every question with, Yes, Drill Sergeant. Is that clear? Yes, Drill Sergeant! What you do is you just drag your nets along the bus. On a good day, you can catch over 100 pounds of shrimp. Everything goes all right. Two men, shrimp in 10 hours, less what you spend on gas. You can be done, drill sergeant! Go! Why did you put that weapon together so quickly, Gump? You told me to, drill sergeant. Jesus H. Christ! This is a new company record. If it wouldn't be a waste of such a damn fine enlisted man, I'd recommend you for OCS, Private Gump. You are going to be a general someday, Gump. Now, disassemble your weapon and continue. Anyway, like I was saying, shrimp is the fruit of the sea. You can barbecue it, boil it, broil it, bake it, saute it. There's um, shrimp kebabs, shrimp creole, shrimp gumbo, pan fried, deep fried, stir fried. There's pineapple shrimp, lemon shrimp, coconut shrimp, pepper shrimp, shrimp soup, shrimp stew, shrimp salad, shrimp and potatoes. Shrimp burger, shrimp sandwich. That's that's about it. I don't know about the shrimp burger and the shrimp salad, but I'll I'll get down on all the rest of that that it he was breaking good. down. Okay, so meanwhile, while Forrest is slaying boot camp here on the other side of the United States, Private Pile's getting the shit kicked out of him, mm. and they're probably about the same intellectual level. Mm-hmm. level these two guys, yeah. Again, the adversity. I like, like, have him struggle. I mean, he disassembles this gun in 20 seconds. Lickety split. <laughs> like, have him, like, get yelled at for the first time in his life, and there's some repercussions for his actions or just something. I mean, he's just so good at it. <laughs> just uh, no adversity. I mean, boot camp usually breaks a man down, mm-hmm. like, to nothing. Mm-hmm. Man, not before that. It was easy for me. I don't even know where to go with that. No, yeah. It's just, it's, it's just what we've been talking about. Yeah. Um, 
boot camp and every other iteration of every film we've ever seen is hell. Yeah. Not for Gump, just kind of cute. It's really kind of charming that I, the I, drill sergeant takes a shine to him and says, if it wasn't such a waste of an enlisted man, he'd yeah. be a general. I mean, it makes me laugh. It cracks me up <laughs> on just, just how ridiculous and preposterous it is. But again, to like better fill out the, to use his analogy, the square pegs of a, of a movie, give me something here, man. Mm-hmm. Let him fail one of the tests. Maybe he doesn't do the right amount of pull-ups that's required or some something. Yep. And that's why I bring a private, private pile. I mean, dude, the guy's getting beat by soap in bed, and dude, Gump's just like, yeah, whatever. I, I, I didn't. I, I wasn't behind. I'm not getting everyone to do laps right uh, all the time. I set the pace. <sighs> would, would you ever like to do that movie one of these days? Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. Yes. That's an interesting, raw, rough film. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I'd love to do that yeah, film. We'll pop that in the back pocket one mm-hmm. day, but. You know, Jenny gets thrown out of college for throwing some side boob. I mean, it's just like, you know, like, dude, if you can throw out of college, I mean, it's a big know, full chested. Right? You're right. Like, nothing, man. I mean, again, you know, the, the screenwriter, they're doing her dirty. I mean, just, just like everything there. And, you know, she has some faults, too. I mean, the friend zoning, I can't forgive that. That's my least favorite thing of anything that has to do with relationships. Mm-hmm. For friends owning someone, you better freaking tell them, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't forgive that. But man, like, man, she's get she's she's got a bad hand that she's playing within this film. Yes, she does. And, you know, to Forrest's credit, I mean, he's looking out for her. I mean, he's just being protective. I get it. I get it. Um, but it's kind of not doing anything for me until kind of the very end of the film when there's this kid involved. Mm-hmm. But let's get to Vietnam, Matt. Um okay. What do you think of Gary Sinise in this film? I don't think we've ever done a film with him. I think he's pretty good in this thing. I do too. He's L- great. Lieutenant Dan Taylor. And I love that little, okay, Matt, what would that be? Would that be, it'd be a series of shots, right? Mm-hmm. When, you know, he has destiny on, on his gravestone where everyone in the Taylor lineage has fought and died in yeah. every American war. I love that little, little yeah. series of shots is really cool. Um, but a couple things that, that he really does uh, that I really like. I like that they he says, don't salute me. There's snipers here that would love to grease an officer. And I love that he tells Bubba, you better tuck that lip and you're going to get cut on a tripwire. <laughs> but I also don't like this portrayal of Vietnam. They land here and Forrest and Bubba's perception of Vietnam is like, man, it's like Lollapalooza out here. They're barbecuing. Like, again, no adversity that like things are just crazy bad shit here. Where's the hacky sack? Woohoo. Oh, yeah. What, what's going on there? That's... I mean, an apocalypse now, man. It's just like they're, they're shooting Viet Cong and they're just shooting everything there. And it's weird, rough and and just not right. Here, yeah, no, just we're grilling up some weekend bar- barbecue. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't like that at all. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, we got to talk about the soundtrack of this film because you know a better filmmaker, and I'm not calling again. You made one of my favorite movies of all time, but you know Tarantino's soundtrack would be not so on the nose. Man, this is just like counterculture music 101. Fortunate son, you got yep. all along the Watchtower. Yep. <laughs> it's just like. If you're going to go there and do it, don't be just so frank with it. Give me some just stuff maybe that I've never heard before. Because everyone bought this soundtrack because of all the great tunes it had. Mm. But, you know, I like Creed. I know, I know you're not a big Creedence guy. I like that band. But, man, this is like where Fortunate Son just got overplayed and just became the Vietnam song, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just in every Vietnam film, you got to put Fortunate Son in there. Spirit in the Sky is on the B oh, side of this. There or you what? go. There you go. Yeah, it's... it's just <clears throat> Safe. It's safe again. Safe 
a layer. I need. I we gotta we gotta dig deep. I want to get into the grit with all of this. Give Are you sure we're not supposed to cut from this to whatever Jenny's doing in American Woman playing in the background? Like that's how on the nose this is. Yeah, Freebird and all that Ugh. stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, it sucks. And I actually, I like Creedence some of it. I just can't do all of it. But mm-hmm. to your point on the music, Swamp Rock, kind of, and just. Is that Freedom Rock, man? Turn it up. It's it's literally as on the nose as you can possibly pick. Yeah. Let's land in Vietnam and be like, yeah, this is a very humid and it's, it's weird and we don't know what we're doing. We don't know what our orders are. No, man, we're cooking up some corn on the cob and grilling some ribs, man. I, I don't like that at all. That just, that, that really kind of, that really bugged me this mm-hmm. time watching. Yeah. And then when they're on their mission, I mean, you know, Forrest is kind of recanting his tales. He's like, we're looking for this guy named Charlie. And just like, he doesn't even know what they're doing in the jungle. Uh, but I do like his descriptions of rain, sideways rain and big fat rain. And <laughs> just like, so I, I dig that. So they give me a little bit. They give me an inch and then they, they take a mile with mm-hmm. all their other portrayals of everything. But I do got to tell you, we're about to get to a moment here. This ambush that they're about to find themselves in. I think this might be the best scene of the movie. Like, for a PG-13 war film, I think they do pretty good here. I mean, they don't... It's a faceless enemy because we never see one Viet Cong, right? But this is fairly intense. I mean, and especially, like, little eight-year-old Jesse watching this for the first time, man. Like, war looks pretty crazy. Um, Rough, yes. Rough. I do got to... I did notice something. I I noticed that this production did tap into the Industrial Light and Magic Sound Library. Uh, So here when the shit hits the fan, tell me if you can recognize this sound effect. (laughs) Sounds like imperial troopers have entered Vietnam. (laughs) They're worse shots than the Viet Cong because they don't hit anybody. You want to hear it one more time? Yep. <laughs> sure I was, does. I was like, I know what that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good, but it's pretty intense. You know, Jenny told them earlier, like, if you find yourself in trouble in this in this war, like, just run. Don't try, like, just just get out of there. And so he does what he's good at, which is running. I think that's fairly consistent in this film. Uh, and he outruns everybody, right? And then as he looks, he's the only one there. And as he goes back, everyone's been torn to shreds. Tex from Texas and Dallas from Phoenix or wherever the hell. Um, and he starts going to get these guys one by one, carrying them on his back and to Lieutenant Dan chagrin, like, leave me here to die. Damn it. He takes him. And this is where he gets shot in the ass. Um, but he's going for Bubba, right? He's going for his buddy and it's too late for him. And I think in a, in a pretty well acted moment as Bubba dies out on this pond, uh, I think there's a glimmer of Forrest has to watch his friend die. And yeah, but I think the gravity and the significance of the general arc of what this war is, isn't there. Mm-mm. But I mean, they're trying, I mean, they're trying to get to something, but then we, we cut from that to like, Oh, ice cream in, in, in the mash and ping pong. Uh, I just, I, I don't know. It's just, Again, I've I'll, I've watched this movie forty times. I'll keep watching it, but it, it, it's got some flaws, man. At this point, I was so exhausted. I, I was really looking Dude, for the door. We're buried an hour and fifteen into this thing. Yeah, it's two fifteen, <laughs> isn't it? So it's a good hour yeah, left. It's a little too long. I, I'm, I'm so bored at this point. Lieutenant Dan is shot to hell in the bed next to him, and he's eating ice cream and getting ready to play ping pong. His digital prosthetic amputated legs though i think it still looks pretty good and i thought gary sinise didn't have legs when i was a kid mm-hmm. 
So that that works pretty well. Um, and then this scene, I mean, like, can we get to some like acting that isn't just like this voice and and we're gonna get it in a few moments. And I think I found Matt, I think I found something okay. here. Yeah. <laughs> now you listen to me. We all have a destiny. Nothing just happens, it's all part of a plan. I should have died out there with my men, but now I'm nothing but a goddamn simple, a legless freak. Look, look, look at me. You see that? Do you know what it's like not to be able to use your legs? Yes, sir, I do. Did you hear what I said? You cheated me. I had a destiny. I was supposed to die in the field with honor. That was my destiny. And you cheated me out of it. Do you understand what I'm saying, Gump? This wasn't supposed to happen. Not to me. I had a destiny. I was Lieutenant Dan Taylor. You still Lieutenant Dan. And Garrison is really bringing it in and in this scene, and I, I totally get where he's coming from. If he has such this grandiose family legacy to live up to, which I must die in an American war, which the sequel novel, which I'll get into a little bit later, dude, dude, hold on to your seat, Matt, because holy shit, mm. he'll get what's coming to him, but like not in this moment. And I think this is, I think this is profound. I mean, this is a moment of you robbed me of the way I was supposed to go out, like, and I was okay with that. And now look what you've left me, Gump. I'm a cripple. I can't walk. I can't be independent the way that I used to. What life did you leave for me? And I think they pay this off pretty well later on the shrimping boat where, you know, after their kind of interesting friendship where it's this Joe Buck and Ratso Rizzo shit in New York, right? Yeah. And um, he kind of looks out for him. He's like, don't call him stupid. Don't call him this. Don't call him names. He starts sticking up for him a little bit. And then on the shrimp boat, he he tells him, and it's kind of like a moment that kind of gets me a little bit is, I never thanked you for saving me out in out in the field. And I'm mad, at least the film's given us something here. I mean, it's not coming from our lead character that the film's named after, but it's coming from somebody. Uh, so I do got to give the film a little bit of credit here. This this at least works for me. I mean, and it's totally over Forrest's head, though. <laughs> yeah, Gary Sinise is killing it. What kills me in that scene, though, is... In much the same way Forrest Gump tells the woman at the bus stop that you can tell a lot of person tell a lot about a person from their shoes. The most on the nose, insignificant, but seems like it should be important thing you can say is you are Lieutenant Dan. Yeah. You want that to be <clears throat> this important moment where human life has value and the purpose of blah you, you, all of that. Yeah. But it's just this one-off, again, anecdotal moment. You are Lieutenant Dan. That means in the context of the film, because I don't believe Forrest means anything other than 
you're you are Lieutenant Dan. That's it. N- not that there's a character in Forest Library of Forest Dan that checks these seventeen categories of grand traits. Nope. It's just this blanket, simple statement. You are Lieutenant Dan. And it comes across as hockneyed and hollow and completely steals what's Gary Sinise's finest acting moment his in his entire career with this ridiculous line. You know what would be better? Is if when he says, do you understand what I'm telling you, Forrest Gump? If Forrest said, no. Mm-hmm. That would be better. No. I don't understand it. Yeah. And then say, no. Sorry, you're mad, Lieutenant Dan. Mm-hmm. You're my friend. Like something like that. Now we're getting a little um, of mice and mini, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But it kind of is anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he steals it from him. Yeah. So you're right. Gary Sinise is slaying it. Mm-hmm. And we do get a payoff later. And he says, thank you, which, I mean, I guess he's happy to be shrimping, I guess. But I don't know, that scene's ruined by that line. Yeah. You want a little bit more from it, yeah. Or just, nothing. Just... Or if you're going to give me nothing, give me nothing. Sure, yeah. <laughs> There's a profoundness in nothing instead of these fluctuations of nothing disguised yeah. as these being there, Peter Sellers, monumental moments of quiet, contemplative genius that are bullshit in this film. <clears throat> Let's squeeze ahead a little bit here. So, okay, yes, so he gets, he gets <laughs> he gets really good at ping pong, right? Yeah. Uh, and then he gets the Congressional Medal of Honor, goes to Washington. Uh, what do you think of all these uh, scenes with the presidents where they're like they're all jib jabbed? <laughs> you know, their dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, they're cute. Yeah. And it's kind of funny to see him meet one after another and none of them really matter because none of them are Jenny. Yeah. But again, meeting the president in anyone's life, even the ones that you might not like would probably go down in just about anyone's life as one of the five coolest things that's ever happened. Yeah. I'm not here. I met the president again. Again. Yeah. Like, it's just like he's bored of it at this point. Uh, the one that kind of gets me though, is just like him with Lennon on the Dick Cavett show. And I'm like, and Lennon had to be inspired by Forrest Gump to write Imagine. Get out of here. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Like we're really trying to grasp at pop culture and historical significance at this point. And then, and I think a moment that could have been the moment of the film, the profound moment that we've been waiting for the growth, the, the arc, the something to happen here. Forrest shows up at this anti-war rally and they snake him out of the crowd and like, come speak about your experiences in Vietnam. Be a fucking Nam, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so he starts talking and some... The mic goes out. Yeah, some guy pulls the cords out of it. And he's going on for like a minute on some profound idea of what he's experienced out there, I imagine. And then there's a tussle with the wires and they get him plugged in and just enough room to say... That's all I have to say about that. Jesus Christ film. Like, I mean, that was the moment, right? I mean, that was going to deliver us something about the Forrest Gump character that was going to be profound. Instead, it's a joke. <laughs> do you buy that he said anything of significance in that? Maybe or? he did. How do I know? I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> per the Dude, the guy, that the, the flag guy, and I can't remember his name, but he was like a guy that was very anti-war, right? Mm-hmm. 
Dude, the guy's crying at what Forrest said and gives him a hug. So it had to have been right. profound. Right. But the film doesn't have the respect to like let us. They play it for a joke. God, like I hate that. Yep. Yep. And then Jenny's out there, and then they wait around in the 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 reflection pool there. And so we're seeing Jenny now, counterculture Jenny, and she's in with the Black Panthers and all this stuff. Uh, <clears throat> no, yeah, it's 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 just it's just a bit much here. And then. You know, he's going to go meet Nixon. He's going to blow the whistle on Watergate. <laughs> I know. It's just, it's too much. What about this stuff on the shrimping boat? Because at least you were not tied to historical significance at this point. It's just like an oath made to my best bud in the service. That I buy. Let me pay off a debt that I owe, right? I buy that okay. for him. Yeah. This simple task. Well, no, this, this simple recipes that Bubba gave him in their adventures together in Vietnam and in a way, to pay this respect to my deceased friend, because he does seem to be loyal. I'll give him that. Yeah, yeah. Very Certainly loyal. to Ginny, to a fault. Yeah, very loyal. Him constructing Bubba Gump's Restaurant Incorporated LLC, that's the story. Mm -hmm. And that is an adventure that I buy him being able to take on. Yeah. And then watching him navigate whatever corporate America in the late 60s, mid-70s through the 80s, mm -hmm. That's not these anecdotal moments of I met the president, I saw Watergate, um, I, I broke up a Black Panther meeting and beat the shit out of someone at a Black Panther meeting and they didn't fucking kill me, mm -hmm. which bullshit. Yeah. And I like that's an all too believable sequence of events for Forrest, but I guess per the, the story and the way they saw this film, it's kind of boring. Because you actually do get mm -hmm. the only arc that I see from Forrest in this film, and that's terrible shrimping boat captain to pretty goddamn good. Now, part of that is because that terrible storm wrecks all the other shrimping boats and he's the only game in oh, town. an act of God. Which, again, is him just sort of lucking into another moment. Can I play another little sound bit for you? Yeah. So this is the storm that they find themselves in. Uh, there's See if you recognize this sound. <laughs> okay. <laughs> This one's a little harder, but it's the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Oh, really? Watch, listen again. Yep. yep. There's just some of those sounds are just like embedded in my DNA. So like when I was watching this, I was like, I know where that is. I know where that's from. Nice catch to you. <laughs> that's impressive. Thank you. But again, even his shrimping boat success is by nothing that he actively pursues. No, it's chance. It's, yeah. God came and wiped out all the other shrimping boats, which, oh my God, that's horrific for this industry. But now they get to be millionaires. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. Does he actively pursue Ginny at the end of the film, or does he luck into her and just happens to be at the right place at the right time when she comes home? Because I know where I'm at this, but what do you think? When she comes to the plantation? Mm -hmm. no, to she, get she, impregnated and then leave and then come back later when she's She just sick. shows up. He just, uh, he, right. Yeah, yeah. There's no pursuing of like, let me go get Jenny for real this time. No, he, she, she shows up on his doorstep. That's even easy. The pursuit of women just happens, which in life that never happens. Never. <laughs> then the pursuit of the finish line of nowhere as he runs across America. That's just until I got tired of running. What about? There was no reason to even stop. What about when Lieutenant Dan invests their shrimping uh, fortunes in a 1975 Apple company? Dude, those guys are like, they're billionaires at $50,000 mm -hmm. $50, and 75 at Apple. Dude, those guys are 
they, they didn't have to worry about cash. Never. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, it's just everything just is dropped in your lap. I mean, to be Forrest Gump, man, you'd be so lucky. <laughs> so what's the through line of this film? If we talk about this movie is about, because I'm not going to say this movie's about love because I think it's a terrible love story and it's very light on the actual love pieces. <clears throat> What this movie's about blank. What's yeah, blank? I don't know. It can't be history because we're rewriting history in this film. Patience? Simplicity? Loyalty? Fuck, I, I'll ugh, check one, strike one, check two, strike two, check three, strike three. Like, I'm yeah, out, yeah, man. Bunt five. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's so safe and pedestrian compared to everything else that we've talked about in that, like, All About Eve, like, it had some teeth to it at least. Uh, ordinary people had some a very provocative uh, question mm-hmm. at the heart mm-hmm. of that film. Yes, here, man, like we're just, we're checking box and we're just making people laugh at just the happenstance of it all. Yeah, when Jenny shows up at the door here, and they finally now let's have a real, she's she's matured enough that she's had such a hard life and drugs and almost killed herself. Mm-hmm. Let me go be with the one person that really truly respected me. And it looks like it's going pretty good. And he's like, I want to marry you, Jenny. And she's like, you don't want to marry. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fucking mess. And he's like, I know. And well, she's right. I'll, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the one truthism in this entire film. I think Robin Wright's pretty good in this film too. But like too. her, this is the character's just. And then so she goes and beds Forrest in the thing. And I guess there's no premier ejaculation, premature ejaculation. Yeah, how did that sex not last like. Which, by the way, like, off the subject for a minute, yeah. was the greatest commercial of all time. The premature electrification during the Super Bowl. Did you see that? Which one was that? The one about the electric car that's not functioning properly, and it's all these couples that are talking about. I don't think I saw that one. Oh my god, you have to okay, watch it. Okay. The the one that kills me is the Dude, woman shucking chicken wings in the kitchen, man. Yeah, you probably were. Yeah. <laughs> the woman sitting next to her husband, and she's like, I don't know, it's just stop, start, stop, start, oh, that, stop, start, that's stop, start. The guy's fishing with the fishing pole, and it breaks, and it's all these colloquialisms of like ED or what. Oh my. It, Okay. Fucking genius. I'll, I'll, I'll check that out. Yeah. Yeah. Electric. Uh, what's it? Um, premature electrification. You want to talk about a goddamn horror show though. The Super Bowl, <laughs> the Super Bowl for me and you, right? Oh, Jesus. God. Yeah. Anyway, stab me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So it, 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 pass interference. Yeah. Did they consummate <laughs> and she takes off? Right. And so Forrest is just like, he's just like, he's sex drunk in the morning. He actually sleeps in that morning. And then decides that day, like, okay, I'm just going to run. I have no, whatever with my house, my taxes, I got a million dollars. I got, um, I'm a fucking celebrity. Although no one at this bus stop knows who he is and he's done all these amazing things, right? right? Yes. Started the running, the, the, the jogging craze. This is my least favorite part of the entire film, which is this running back and forth and all the people and uh, happy face t-shirts and yep. shit happens. They play some Fleetwood Mac during this montage. Hey, hey there you go. But man, I need this part out of, Over. This, out of this film. Yeah, But at least it's getting us close here. I mean, and there's no adversity to that. I mean, I tried to picture myself. I was like, Jesse, if you ran from one end of the coast to the other, I would be dead. dead. I, would, I wouldn't make it out of the city. Like, no. <laughs> and I'm just going to do that because it's fun. And like, I just kept going. No adversity, and he just stops like, I'm kind of tired. I think I'm going to stop now. I'm going to go home. Not because I have atrophy of the... I have knee damage now and ligament. Like, no, it's just... And I'm sporting a 20-pound beard. I'm done. I'm just... It's just I'm done, and we need to move on to the next thing. He's Which, done or you're done? Both. 
That makes three of us. Which, okay, so, okay, we're done. Finally, we catch up to present day, 1982. We're at this bus stop. This Thankfully, this old woman that finally someone told them, like, you know what? Don't wait for your bus. Your destination's literally right down the road there. Well, I think she started off as a 19-year-old. By the time the story began, she was 85. <laughs> that, and that woman's into the story, man. She, when Mama Gump does, and, and when she dies of cancer, that's kind of a sad moment, too, because she gives the chocolates line to Forrest, and it's very profound, but... Mm. Um, this old woman's crying. It's like the one woman in this all these bus stops that she's digging this story. She, the boomer man, she can't get enough of this. Yeah. Although she wouldn't be boomer in '82. I mean, this is like depression era individual, right? Mm-hmm. Which I don't. Prior to boomer, I don't know what we're calling the generation. Greatest generation. Are we? I guess that's okay. what they were technically. The greatest. Okay. I guess that makes sense. I mean, they were the ones that fought in the war, and right. then the boomers came post-war consummate right super proud of themselves <laughs> yeah, exactly could you imagine calling yourself the greatest generation yeah <laughs> so proud Fuck. i'll say this though i mean if me my ass at normandy on d-day dude i'm getting killed instantly yeah. there's, just, there's no way yeah. so to to them to them i'll, I'll raise it to them yeah, and i will too to tom thank hanks, you tom hanks and saving private ryan do like i wouldn't have survived one second in that in that invasion yeah uh but, okay, so we get here with Jenny, and, you know, I actually think the film finds its footing a little bit here at the end, but it's it's almost too little too late, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, what's going on? What's going on here? Bear with us here. We're, we're all over. Technical the, difficulties. What, what are we doing here? This is my very good friend, Mr. Gump. Can you say hi to him? Hello, Mr. Gump. Haley Joel. Hello. Hello. Can I go watch TV now? Yes, you can. Just keep it low. You're a mama, Jenny. I'm a mama. His name's Forrest. Like me. I named him after his daddy. He got a daddy named Forrest, too? You're his daddy, Forrest. Look at me. Look at me, Forrest. There's nothing you need to do, okay? You didn't do anything wrong. Okay? Isn't he beautiful? He's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. But... Is, is he smart? He's very smart. He's one of the smartest in his class. You see, that, that, that's the moment for me where he, you know, the first question he asks is, oh my God, like, okay, I sired a child. Is he like exactly like me or did my stupidity pass down to him in his mind, right? And she's like, no, he's actually very swell. And that moment kind of breaks him a little bit. Like, we're showing some humanity with Forrest, man. Like, we're, we're getting to something here. Um, I wish they would get rid of that line, though, where he's like, you got a daddy named Forrest, too? Like, it, now it's not the time to be cutting jokes, right? Uh, but what do you think? Is this the right way to go with this character at this point in the film? I suppose. Uh, Jenny it makes Jenny look terrible. that She's sequestered his kid and been estranged from her 
The sequestering, yes, terrible, right? Uh, I guess the light at the end of the tunnel is that, you know, this bajillionaire uh, that she hasn't, like, instantly sought him out for money. So I guess there's, you know, something to that. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, why did she wait till the kid was five terrible. to tell him? Yeah. <laughs> My question is this. I still don't know if he has fully come to terms with Ginny's abuse. No, 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 no. Okay, so you're going to tell me in all of the travails, because my my argument in this is the crux of both of them are Ginny. So let me give you both cases. Okay. When it comes to my son being like me and Ginny's molestation, they are both centered around Ginny. Now, what I mean by that is in his travails across the earth, and the vast number of things that he's seen from Vietnam to starting the jogging craze, to teaching Elvis how to dance, to you name it, essentially writing the, the annals of American history. He has yet to consider the abuse that Jenny went through and act appropriately in that manner, like ever acknowledge that. Yet... In the same adventure that he spent, which mostly is devoid of contact with Jenny and even less contact with his new son than he had Jenny, because this is the first time he's ever met his son. He's able to introspectively look inside and ask Jenny, is he like me? So you can't decode yeah, yeah, yeah. Jenny's behavior from the things in her past, and you spent a whole entire childhood with her. Yes. And then have pined for her for generation. Yeah. And in 10 seconds, yeah. you're able to I'm with you. introspectively ask. I know. So you asked what I think of this? Yeah. I think it's fucking bullshit. <laughs> That's terrible writing. I know it is. It's it and Again, I'm, it's cute and yes. it's sentimental yes. that he shows up. Yeah. But the whole fucking movie's been cute and sentimental. Yeah, I know, I know. It, it, that, that, the little moment works for me, but you're right. Like, his ability to decode that versus that is, yeah, like, it's yeah. six of one, half a dozen of another. I th it, it gives him a purpose, I'll grant that. Oh, it's going to give him a purpose going forward because Jenny has AIDS. <laughs> and I think Forrest is going to be a terrific father, to be honest with you. Yeah, he'll be very attentive. I mean, sure. all the attention he wanted to show Jenny once she's dead, this film just throws her away, right? And um, to... You stick to our loyalty issue. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's his son, but no, he'll be a great dad out of a loyalty to Jenny mm -hmm. and doing the, he'll be even better than he would just be normally because he's got to do it for two now. Like I, I buy all that. Yeah. But that other part just leaves me high and dry, man. Yeah. Now I'm going to play the moment. I think this was the moment like, you know, you know, Tom Hanks has been doing this Southern drawl kind of like simple voice with Forrest and his lack of understanding. But like, I think there's one scene in the film where he, he kind of sheds that and delivers it before. And I think it's what ties everything together. And it's, it's, it's my favorite moment of the film. Uh, and it's thankfully the second to last scene of the movie. Mama always said Dying was a part of life. I sure wish it wasn't. Little Forrest is doing just fine. But about to start school again soon. I make his breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. I make sure he. Combs his hair, 
brushes his teeth every day. Teaching him how to play ping pong. Okay. He's really uh, good. Force you go. We fish a lot. And every night we read a book. She's so smart, Jenny. You'd be so proud of him. I am. He wrote you a, a letter. And he says, I can't read it. I'm not supposed to, so I just leave it here for you. destiny or if we're all just floating around accidental like on a breeze but I, I think maybe it's both maybe both is happening at the same time I miss you, Jenny. If there's anything you need, I won't be far away. For the first time in the film, Forrest is feeling something, mm-hmm. right? And I think in a pretty good little, okay, this would be... No, this would be montage over voiceover, maybe, mm-hmm. where he's showing, again, what you said so brilliantly, which was he's going to be a good dad. We're seeing the evidence of that already, reading to him, making his lunches, showing him ping pong. They're fishing. They're bonding together as father and son. Like, that's very sweet. I like that. But, like, for the first time, I mean, he's able to comprehend some of them. Even Bubba dying in Vietnam and mom dying, he's not showing the same type of inflection and emotion that he's showing now which is at two hours and 15 minutes into this film, we're finally getting it. Like we're finally getting the crux of what makes Gump tick. Uh, but I think it's, I think this scene is pretty well done. I think it's really well acted. This, this is a hard scene to, to, to put together. I think he's really good in it. And you know, the stuff he's saying, I mean, it, it makes a lot of the other stuff kind of make sense, but it's a little too little too late, mm-hmm. but I, I do like this moment. It's, you know, if we're given best actor, you know, th- there we go, right? I mean, no, this is the best moment of the film for me too. Yeah, and Tom Hanks is showing off some really solid chops mm-hmm. and delivering beyond the grave. Yeah, maybe the piece of him that's been so frustrating for us the whole movie, and that some reaction to what you've experienced, yeah. or mm-hmm. for the first time, actively taking a role instead of reactively reacting to the role that he's been put in. He has to make the dinner. He has to tell the kid to comb the hair. Mm -hmm. He has to make sure the kids bathe. Like he has to now grow up in a sense. Yeah. 
and all of these large events that he's experienced that through trauma, we mature and grow, seem to have missed him entirely. Mm-hmm. But on the individual basis, and this has been my complaint the whole time, so I want to give it credit when it shows up. Yeah. When we see this man in the everyday role of just humanity, then he seems to be very comfortable in those shoes, if you want to use that metaphor. Mm-hmm. And he's walking around in them quite nicely, experiencing life that's about at the level he can comprehend. And maybe there's something to that, Jesse. So let me devil's advocate myself here a little bit. Okay. In the middle of Vietnam, not understanding what your orders are and why you're doing what you're doing was the story many, many, many GIs could tell. Yeah. In the middle of Watergate, not believing what you're seeing because it's just entirely impossible and then having whatever version of that was doctored up and fixed up by the CAA to make it palatable for whatever fucking ulterior motives they had. All of these things that he goes that he doesn't quite get, I think we can also say, I don't know if I would have gotten that then either. Yeah. The the importance of fatherhood. Yeah. I get that. So I want to be consistent here. Mm-hmm. This is working, but you said my issue, and yeah. that is... Too little, too late. Way yeah, too late. Yeah, we're, we're about to fade out, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and what is it in this moment that has finally kicked him over to where he's able to... Take the 500-look view. The loss of your best friend. It has to be. But not not Bubba. Yeah. Or, or not, um, yeah, not Bubba. Yeah, that wasn't great enough of a loss. <laughs> I mean, I would argue he was closer with Bubba for a shorter period of time than he ever was with Jenny. Jenny just did a good job of leaving every time she showed up. I know. It's just, it's that childhood shit. Like, you know, I get it. I get it. But like, her, no. her void, and now he can't you know, search for her anymore. And they finally got good, right? At the end, they get married. They have all that shtick. They have a kid together. I, I, I get it. I, I get why now yeah. he's able to open up what his, in his soul, you know, if we want to call it that, you know, there's some emotion there. There's some weight to it. This is what I've been waiting the whole fucking movie for. Right, yeah. Show me the way to Vietnam. Show me the way to people mm-hmm. being oppressed by, you know, the color of their skin. Sure. yeah. No, none of that. But here we get it, and it's amazing. And had the film had more of this, I don't know. Maybe this is the best movie that's ever been made. <laughs> it's very possible. Right? Yeah, it's possible. I don't know. Yeah, it's just uh, that was this was the particular angle that Zemeckis and crew in the book decided to go in. I guess. Thank I guess. God for the last forty-five seconds. <laughs> But he puts a little forest on the bus to school. It's the same bus driver from when he went to school. And, you know, the little feather floats our way off into the credits. And, you know, that's the end of it. So, you know, this did win Best Picture. This did win. Uh, it won six awards that year. I got him here. Uh, Pitcher, director, Zemeckis, uh, uh, actor Hanks, screenplay, adapted. Uh, best editing, which, you know, I'm okay with that. And best visual effects at the time, I can see that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, $55 million budget. You ready for this? Yeah. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Uh, $678 million gross. <laughs> My God. Again, huge, huge film, right? Yeah. Uh, Hanks and Zemeckis, you know, I guess savvy businessmen, didn't take a salary on the film instead and negotiated for back-end points. Good thinking. They each took $40 million paycheck. My gosh. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, you just never know, right? I mean, this film could have been a bomb, but when you make deals like that, you just, you got to have a feeling about something that, like, this is just going to touch the zeitgeist at the right time, right? Yeah. And this film was, I guess, right for 94. Sure. That's, I guess, my consensus on that. You want some alternative casting options? Yep. For Forrest, 
John Travolta, mm-hmm. which he has said, I can't believe I passed on that movie. Biggest mistake he ever made. But also nominated for Best Actor for Pulp Fiction, which, you know, that's a pretty great performance mm-hmm. he gives in that film. Chevy Chase, hell no. Mm-mm. Bill Murray, no way. Sean Penn, a little too serious in in my uh, estimation. The book author imagined John Goodman, because I guess he's more burly and kind of big in the book. Mm. Maybe. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Uh, for Lieutenant Dan, I just, I'd like to see this movie. Joe Pesci is Lieutenant wow, Dan. Wow, no. That's no, no, too, too crass. Uh, for Bubba, David Allen Greer. Yeah. Yeah. Ice Cube and Dave Chappelle, which Dave Chappelle, again, like Travolta said, why did I pass on that film? Yeah. And I guess Hanks kind of was like, you know what? I'll, I'll make, we'll make it up to you. We'll do a movie together. And he got him a role in You Got Mail. So we'll work together is what he said at the end of the day. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Jenny. Uh, I got nothing for Jenny. Mm-hmm. Robin Wright was the one and only, I imagine. Okay. Uh, in Okay, so the film focuses on the first 11 chapters of the books and then skips to the founding of Bubba Gump and then meeting his son. Uh, the leg braces, I guess, are germane to the film itself. Uh, but in the book, he also becomes an astronaut, a professional wrestler, and a professional chess player. Like, thank God we didn't have to see any of that because did we have any more room for any of that? Yeah, thank God. Him going to... Dude, and then I landed on the moon again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no way, dude. Yeah. No way. Uh, you might have heard of my friend in the chess circuit. His name was Bobby uh, Fisher. You, you know that would have been the line. Yeah. No, he's beaten Bobby Fisher. For sure. Dude, he's better than him. Uh, in 2015, the Hollywood Reporter... Okay, good good art uh, uh, publication there. Pulled a hundred, hundreds of Academy members on past controversial decisions, and if given a second chance, uh, they would have given this year's award to the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, we'll follow up on that here in just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I want to do just a little bit of this, because I mentioned there is a Winston Groom, the author, who had he's had a lot of issues with Paramount and not getting his due rights for selling the book. He wrote a sequel novel in 1995 called Gump and Co., which takes place. Dude, it's like the Halloween two of Gump sequels, <laughs> right where he leaves Little Forest at the at the bus stop. I got to read a little of this to you, okay? Because if you thought some of this was crazy, just you, you, hang on to your uh, hang on to your butts. Buckle up. In 1980, the shrimp market has exploded, and Forrest cannot keep up with the demand. Adding to Forrest's troubles, Lieutenant Dan sells off his share of the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company, and the company eventually goes under. To make ends meet, Forrest gets a job as a janitor in a strip club. <laughs> oh, no. Where he meets a for- former college teammate from Alabama and gets a tryout for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Forrest is kicked off the team when he is informed that Jenny uh, died. So I don't think Jenny dies in the book the way she does in the film. So, mm-hmm. again, the screenwriters just give her aids. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay, here we go. Then he finds out about his son, la da 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 Unemployed, Forrest sells encyclopedias door-to-door, helps create the infamous New Coke, and operates a pig farm, all of which end in disaster. Oh, no. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, okay, here, I'm, I'm just kind of scanning ahead a little bit. Uh, Forrest sees a homeless Lieutenant Dan in Washington <clears throat> and, you know, kind of down on his luck. Uh, on top of that, Lieutenant Dan has become half-blind and not wishing to see Lieutenant Dan homeless says that they will work something out. Forrest soon meets up with the Marine Colonel who recruits Forrest into a clandestine mission to Iran. They meet with Ronald Reagan. Oh, no. 
on the mission itself, they meet Ayatollah Khomeini, and the mission is discovered, and everyone disavows responsibility, save for Forrest, who's jailed in a prison camp. God. In this prison camp, uh, he has to go through a religious rehabilitation with John Hinckley Jr., who's the guy that shot Reagan for right. Jodie Foster. Right. Uh after that, he goes to New York where he works with Ivan Boski and Michael Milken on Wall Street, where he and his son meet the real Tom Hanks. Okay, so now we're cross-pollinating film and novel. What in the world? And Tom Hanks doesn't impress them in the slightest. Forrest is then visited by Jenny's ghost. <laughs> this can't be real. <laughs> I swear to God, this is real. I'm reading a synopsis right now. Dude, it's, dude, Obi- That's Wa- terrible. Yeah, obi yeah. Can you imagine Robin Wright's ghost visiting us in a... F- and they, they, they were going to make this into a movie, too. No. Okay, let me let me keep going here. Uh, when did the aliens show up? Uh, hang on. Because he left one of his shoes on the moon. Okay, so uh, on top of all that... Um, <laughs> Uh, working on Wall Street, he is said to be the fall guy for these two guys' scheme. I don't know those two guys, but they might have been, you know, the Jordan Belforts of that era. Um, but his trial is disrupted by news of... Is the, it Charles Keating? No, no, no. Ivan Boski and Michael Milken. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but his trial is disrupted by news of the Bl- uh, Black, uh, Black Monday crash, <laughs> right? He is then greeted by two military police officers who tell them that due to an errand being medically released... Uh, well, in Vietnam, his enlistment hasn't expired, mm. and he has to, he's back on active duty. He is taken from New York to Alaska while his son stays behind in the States. So, oh, dude, Matt, we'll get ready for this one. Oh, boy. For, Forrest considers Alaska a nice change of pace from the superficiality of Manhattan, but ends up accidentally wrecking the Exxon Valdez after a drunken night with an old friend. No. <laughs> oh. Oh, gosh. I just, wow. I can't. Do, I can't. I just, it's just, it's too much. Uh, he ends up, uh, and they don't want a court martial, a medal of honor recipient. So he's assigned to the worst job in the army, cleaning mud tank treads in West Germany. In West Germany, he meets a new woman named Gretchen who works in a beer hall. They start a little, a little kind of fling and it sounds like it's going pretty good. When Forrest's background in pro football is discovered, he gets recruited for the unit's pro football team in West Germany. During a game, Forrest punts a bo- uh, the ball, which flies over the Berlin Wall, call- causing another turn of events, which people in both East and West Berlin start breaking the wall with sledgehammers. Dude, oh, dude. he kicks a football and starts to follow the Berlin Wall. <laughs> uh, that's terrible. <laughs> dude, we're not done yet. <laughs> Forrest is then deployed from this military deployment to the Persian Gulf War. So it's like 91, 92, One, mm-hmm. yeah. Where he is reunited with Lieutenant Dan. So, oh, hey, let's fight him war again. His tank crew captures Saddam Hussein. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. Norman Schwarzkopf is shocked oh. at this while privately praising such initiative. He remarks that they got all of them in trouble with President Bush as he was not in the orders to get Saddam. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and they return Saddam Hussein to Iraq. Mm. Uh, however, right after they are hit by friendly fire and Forrest, uh, uh, Lieutenant Dan is hit and finally dies like his ancestors in an American war. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and it kind of wraps up there. Him and Forrest Jr. kind of strike up some, uh, different, uh, business contracts. Uh, he strikes up a relationship with, uh, the Gretchen girl and Jenny's ghost is able to go to rest. Holy shit. What a a great, right. I'm going to read that. Okay. So 
the rumor is, is that this script got, you know, put together and got delivered. And you want to know when it was delivered? September 10th, 2001. Yeah. And after the events of 9-11, which can you imagine? They would shoehorn that. And like, I was down in lower Manhattan on September 11th. I saw planes in the sky. Like, mm-hmm. I get that the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, afterwards, Hanks and Zemeckis was like, it's really not the right time to do a movie like this, especially as ridiculous as this. So yes, thank God for history on occasion. Yeah. Hopefully they clean some of that up, but I read that and I was in stitches. Like I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, they're catching Saddam and dude, yeah. he's kicking footballs over the Berlin wall. I go, what? Like that, that makes this film look tame. Solid. Right. Ooh. Anyway. Yeah. That's a, that's a bad, right, dude. It's a bit much. A bit much. Uh, what's your favorite tasting note of Forrest Gump? Mm, it's probably that last bit where he's having that confession with Jenny. Me too. That's how it has to be. I think it's well acted. I think it's well directed. It's well scored. And it's a moment to let the film breathe and actually feel something for the first time in two hours. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. That's it's it's a pretty good moment. What's the moment? One part we didn't talk about, and that's Jenny on the ledge. Oh yeah. That's really, really well done. We talked a lot about him and we've talked around her. This is a solid performance by Robin Wright Penn in this film. She's very hateable. And we understand why. So not to vilify her too much. She, but she is kind of the active antagonist in this film to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Her on that ledge, um, contemplating what it would be like in Lethal Weapon to jump off. It's so Lethal Weapon. Isn't it? It's just, and if you're jumping off of a thing, it's how is it not Lethal Weapon? So yeah, that's probably my oh my God moment. Okay. You? Uh, my, oh my God. Gosh, it might be that moment where he doesn't catch the football and the other guy has to do it for him. It just, it's, if you, you want a definition of this film, it's that scene right there. It will perfectly describe what this is, is like. What is, uh, who's the master distiller on Forrest Gump? It's a really good performance by Tom Hanks. I'm not going to say that this is not an iconic performance. It obviously is. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what everyone's going to say. So I'm actually going to give it to Robin Wright Penn because I think Jenny's a really good foil in what's unnecessary and grounding element to love story that eventually saves what's the salvageable part of this film for me, and that's his admission to Jenny at the grave with Forrest Jr. in tow. Mm. Pretty good. How about you? I think I'm going to give it to Gary Sinise. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty good supporting performance. He was nominated this year with uh, also uh, another really good one, Samuel L. Jackson for Pulp Fiction. I think Martin Landau won for Ed Wood, which that's mm-hmm. pretty good too. So kind of competitive field in the supporting actor race. Yeah. Uh, I think he's really good here. I think he's the one guy playing it straight the whole way through. He shares his feelings and emotions, wears it like a badge on his on his jacket. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I lo- he has an arc. Yeah, he goes from like gung ho military guy who wants to die on the battlefield to feeling neglected to homeless man, POW, PTSD, amputee, to forgiveness, to getting reconstructed legs. Like he actually goes through a transformation in this film to married, right? Yeah, right. I dig it. He's good really, choice. He's really good in this, mm-hmm. and I like seeing them in the very next year in Apollo 13 together. They're also really good in that one as well. So Yeah. Are you going to rate and grade Forrest Gump? You want to go through the ratings or you just want to go? Yeah, 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 yeah. Rock cut, well, call single barrel and top shelf. Where are you going? Call minus? 
I was really, really bored to tears with this film this time. How you've done this movie 40 times, I'll give you credit. Yeah. But uh, I don't want to say the line, and I haven't said it in many, many months, but I couldn't wait for it to be over. It wasn't that bad, but <laughs> okay. I just was like, come on, get on with it already. Get on with it already. Get yeah. on with it already. Uh, it hasn't aged real well for me. And I think where I found it pretty tolerable once upon a time, I'm in no hurry to ever, ever, ever watch this movie again. If it's not for the saving monologue at the end, this is probably well, straight well. But, uh, cause I just think it's a little silly and just too cute for me. Now, you know, the other choices in this year, I think tend to lean on a side of film that I prefer, which is a little bit more edgy mm-hmm. and a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say profound cause that sounds vain, but profound. Yeah. And this movie just, tends to kind of air on the side of light and breezy over and over again to a fault. Um, call minus. And it's, I mean, minus, minus, like barely called. This is just an average film. Yeah. I, you know, how I've seen it 40 times. Again, I speak to that rewatchability part of it because there's parts of this, like like that the, the the opening Young Forest all the way up and through the Vietnam stuff, like I, I can watch a lot of that and there's some stuff in there that makes me chuckle and whatever. But it's the last part of the film that I have more trouble with, like the the Washington Monument stuff and the running and getting with Jenny. Like that, that's the part of the film that I have a lot of difficulty with. But uh, funny story, like my first memory of this film was we were on a family vacation. We were visiting some aunts and uncles and uh, they had rented or bought this film. And so the kids couldn't watch it because of PG-13, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Forrest is ejaculating in this movie. What are we, what are we gonna do? Exactly. But they watched it, but like something was wrong with the VCR where it like kept overheating. So like the tape head kept like shutting everything, like it would turn the whole thing off. It took them like 15 hours to watch this. Cause they had to watch in 20 minute blocks. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Cause they, they had a little bit of time and then it would cut out. A little bit of time cut out. So that six in the morning, they're like finally finishing Forrest Gump. Ugh. Uh, but that was my first memory of it, but I've seen it a lot. I'll probably still keep watching it, but this was, this was kind of an eye opening rewatch for me. Call plus for me. It's, there's some okay stuff here, but I'm with you. This is the very definition of safe pedestrian Mm -hmm. Oscar bait filmmaking that I just really don't prefer. I much prefer two other films that came out or were in the consideration this same year. (laughs) Yes. And you want to throw another film in there. The Lion King is on the Mount Rushmore of Disney animation. That's not even nominated for best picture. Yeah. So there you go. Mm. Yeah. With that ranking to your ranking, let's wrap this up with our nightcap. Triumphant. Oh, gosh. Sylvester's so good in this. It's just, yeah, he's really bringing it. Really, really straightforward nightcap tonight. Got it. Your top three Tom Hanks performances. Was this our first Tom Hanks uh, film that we've done? I believe it is. Yeah, interesting. Uh, you want to go first? Three, three, two, two, yeah, one, one? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go first for this one. Uh, you know, Tom Hanks, you know, around this time of Philadelphia and Forrest Gump, he made, I think, a significant turn in his career, which was mostly strictly dramatic film performances. Would you kind of, kind of agree? Like kind of in that space? Yes. 
I think he's pretty good in the comedy space too. Uh, and my number three from him is a film that absolutely cracks me the hell up, and it's The Money Pit. Oh, yeah. Uh, him and Shelley Long buying this derelict house and all the ensuing problems they have. Uh, it's physical Tom Hanks comedy acting, the likes of which, you know, inspired by the Marx Brothers to the Three Stooges to Peter Sellers. It's really good. And I don't think he gets enough credit as a comedic performer because he started, you know, Bosom Buddies and, you know, all those, you know, the, the sitcoms and that and Splash and Bachelor Party. But, man, The Money Pit, I I, I love it. It's a, it's a him laughing at the foot of the stairs when the tub goes to the thing and he's like, <laughs> and he's just getting like, because what would you do in that situation? Yeah. You would laugh like a, like a psycho person. Good. Like that. My number three. My number three, Charlie Wilson and Charlie Wilson's War. I love that film. Um, Kind of a a quieter story in the American history spectrum. And Charlie Wilson is the womanizing, galvanizing, militaristic force from Texas that he is. He's terrific in this film. Julia Roberts is pretty good in that too, and I can't believe I'm saying that. (laughs) Charlie Wilson, Charlie Wilson's War. Excellent. My number two, I was going to go one way. I mentioned the film already, Apollo 13. Oh, God, it, I, I really, really, really like that movie. Bill Paxton, Kevin Bacon, Gary Sinise, Ed Harris, you know, everyone's really good in that. My number two is going to be his vocal performance as Woody in Toy Story or the Toy Story franchise if you want to give it to me. Okay. You know, I think he brings a certain level of gravitas to that character, this naive cowboy who thinks he's real, but he's really not. Mm-hmm the leader of this group of misfit toys, it could only be Hanks. And him with Tim, I mean, they they work so well playing off of each other. And they did it for, I don't like that fourth one. I thought that was really unnecessary. But give me Toy Stories 1 through 3. There's some pretty good work there. Good choice. Wow. Uh, This is going to be one of his Academy Award winners. So this is Mr. Chuck Nolan in Castaway. Uh, I think the body dysmorphia piece that we go through Sometimes is over dramatized in Hollywood circles, but it's not in this film, man. He dropped, what do you say, 65 pounds? Yeah, a lot. Um, and I actually, as much as I don't really want to watch Forrest Gump again, I will tune in and watch Castaway over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, best supporting nod to Wilson in that because he's fucking kills me. <laughs> Yeah, Chuck Nolan in Castaway. It's my number one. It's, oh, snap. And I, I watched it a couple months ago. It's amazing. It's him teaming up with Zemeckis again, right? Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. what's really good about that, you know, the body dysmorphia, you know, dropping weight to become really thin. I mean, that's the part with the um, skate blade. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just, yeah. Let me get this impacted molar out of my thing. I'll think of any other way but that. Mm. Uh, Yeah. Him getting like ripped up with the coral. The best part about that movie is that it's like a, it's, I can't think of many films where it's just a guy. Mm-hmm. acting against nothing. I mean, you jokingly said Wilson, but that's it's an inanimate object. But the level of commitment he provides, and I think Robert Zemeckis went and made a whole nother movie, What Lies Beneath, while Tom, while Tom Hanks went and lost weight. And then, really? they, and then they came back and did the after piece there. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's a powerhouse right there. It's, it's really good, you know... I really normally can't tolerate Helen Hunt in, in much of anything, but she's pretty good in that movie too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, pre-Jesse, pre-Horror Jesse, um, before I got into that whole genre, which is my favorite now of all time, mm-hmm. 
The best jump scare I had ever experienced was in that film when he's on the FedEx plane and he's taking off his like Band-Aid and you're like, it's like real close to the camera and you're like, we're supposed to see something there? And then the doors blow open. He's hanging on for dear life and this plane's losing cabin pressure. It scared the hell out of me. Sure. I was just like, I think that's 2000. Mm. So I'm like, I'm 10, 11 when that comes out. Yeah. Great film. That's some is. You want, want a hot take? This is Robert Zemeckis' last good movie. I probably would agree with that. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. Um, my number one, aforementioned yeah. gangster flick. That's Michael Sullivan and Road to Perdition. Yeah. Nobody saw this Everyone's film. Everyone's got to see this movie. Jude Law at his best. Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. Paul Newman playing the titular Frank Nitty, which that's a whole great character too that's been kind of underutilized in the gangster genre. And uh, playing his son is a young Tyler uh, Houchlin, who you'll know. He's playing Superman on that CW Superman and Lois show. Yeah. So pretty good cast. Great film. Mm -hmm. Dark, brooding, um, and understated and violent. And that's not something I would usually say. He can play understated, but violent's not. But fatherly violent. And you know, I like that road mm-hmm. trip between dad and son. I love that story. Based on a graphic novel. Great movie. Yeah. Road to Perdition. Good choice. Thanks. Excellent. To your choices. To your choices. <clears throat> well, that's the end of Forrest Gump here. Uh, now the genesis of everything. I'm going to let you set it up. Matt, why did we do this whole cast? It was to do this movie, right? <laughs> We couldn't find a way to shoehorn this in, whether it was... We couldn't find a, a, a Stephen King cast to do this. <laughs> couldn't find a Stephen King cast. I guess we could do a jailbreak cast, but yeah. So we just finally said, it's Oscar season, and we need a good reason to do the Shawshank Redemption. Nice. So finally, yeah. we're going to cover what... I'm just going to tell everybody in the podcast, Yeah, this is my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, It's the only film I would ever call perfect. We'll see if that holds up next week when you go tit for tat with me as we critique this film. Yeah. But I am shameless apologist when it comes to the perfection of this film. Yeah. Yeah. I'll join you in that. It's, it's a pretty great film. Uh, I'm glad to hear you said what you said though, that they went back and said, we missed and it should have been Shawshank. That should have. Yeah. I thought that was cool for them to do like a poll. And I don't even know if the Academy members are allowed to do that and say, yeah, we got it wrong. Like Mm -hmm. they've never, like I've never heard that before. Uh, And yeah, it should have gone to this film. Uh, And I'll be in the camp too. Like, I'm giving Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction some love in this oh, year yeah. as well. That's just, it's too weird of a movie to win though. Like it's just, you got a movie with the gimp. Yeah. Give it best picture, man. Yeah. <laughs> this watch was so shoved so far up his ass. You think of the, okay, here's the thing though. The Academy members, you know, when to get into the Academy, you have to win an award. Mm-hmm. What makes up a majority of the Academy is what? Baby boomers. Baby boomers. So when they see Gump, they're like, oh man, this is this is my yep. milk and milk and cookies, right? Yeah. So of course they're gonna think, yeah, no, Pulp Fiction, nah, that's too too strange. And Shawshank, eh, just it's it doesn't speak to me as much. I've never been in prison. So as we look back at this, because I mean, obviously the way we set this up, we're gonna say that that's what should have won mm-hmm. next week. Are we in agreement that the only year that in the three we've covered, which there's many other years and many other debates to have, mm-hmm. was the ordinary people debate? Is that where we are at as we head into this final like that, sixth round like, next week? Like that was a just winner? Yeah, why not? And and we even took that to task with it probably should have been the Elephant Man, but we didn't cover the Elephant Man. I know, Man. right? The Elephant Man of the late, late entry there. Ordinary people? Interesting, right? Wow. I never would have thought that starting this. I have to say this too about that film. 
it still sticks with me. You're still thinking about it. I still it. find myself thinking about things with that film. Yeah. A movie that I didn't particularly care for. Mm-hmm. I forget what maybe call. Oh, call minimum for you. I'd, yeah. I think I gave single barrel. Um, interesting. Yeah. That messed up family and kind of how they're dealing with the tragedy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I can't wait. I, I haven't seen Shawshank in probably about five years. So I'm really much looking forward to, to revisiting. We get to talk about Frank Darabont again. We talked about him in episode nine with the mist. And here we get to go with his magnum opus, his first directorial film. Are you kidding me? I can't wait to talk about Tim Robbins. Yeah. Obviously we're talking about Morgan Freeman too, but what happened to Tim Robbins? Yeah. Dude, I can't wait to talk about William Sadler. <laughs> me, yeah. Clancy Brown. Yeah, you know, Clancy Brown's so good in this movie. Sure is. And uh, uh, the, what's the guy, Bob Gutton, that mm-hmm. plays the, the warden? The sheriff. Oh, man. Warden Norton. Yeah, there you go. Oh, this is going to be great. We get to talk about King again. Yep. And maybe a, the last time we talked about King, it was fairly contentious. It and The Shining didn't play as well on this podcast as I thought it would have. What have we done? We've done The Shining uh, and, and we've done... Um, we've done six Kings. We did uh, Carrie. We did Mist. Uh, The Mist. Uh, the New Pet Cemetery. Oof. It's chapter one and two in The Shining. Yeah, so, so this will be ch- seven. Yeah, seven. Dude, Salem's Lot's coming too. Dude, we could do like a whole nother batch because I still want to talk about Christine. Mm-hmm. We could have a lot of fun and just kind of do like a bad movie thing with Maximum Overdrive and how coked out King was while mm-hmm. making that movie. Mm-hmm. There's a few other Kings we can dabble into. So yeah. Not to derail you, I have a quick question though. What is the range between Renfield and Salem's Lot? When those are re-released. Salem's Lot, this is weird, and I don't know what's going on with this. I don't know if it's a sign or what, but Salem's Lot, like, it's supposed to come out. It's finished. Doesn't have a release date. Oh, no. Uh, Renfield's April. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't got an answer for you there. Well, that'd be nice if they were in the same kind of frame. Yeah, and we just stick another vampire in there. There you go. Mm -hmm. Well, to that. To that. So next week is going to be a lot of fun. Um, but until then, like, hey, man, we've been talking a lot about shrimp. You want a shrimp po' boy for lunch? Ooh, yes, yeah. I do. Let's grill it Creole. up. We'll see you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Forrest Gump is property of Paramount Pictures and the Tisch Company, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Then it felt like something just jumped up and bit me. Ah, something, something!